what about angels and demons? This is part one. At this moment, in this room that you cannot see, in another dimension, angels and demons are coming and going and fighting and all manner of spiritual warfare is going on that we, we can't see that. But it's around us. The spiritual forces of good and evil who do battle. And the scripture doesn't, it alludes to it and there are some places, but not very often does the scripture open the veil where you can actually peer inside, but it does a little bit in 2 Kings 6, 14 through 17. God opens Gehazi's eyes, Elisha's servant's eyes, to see into the other spiritual dimension. The king of Aram is after Elisha to kill him. He's looking for him to kill him on the spot because God tells him where the army of Aram is all the time. And when they come up against Israel, Elisha tells his kings and they thwart the, the plans of the king of Aram. So he's looking for him to kill him. So in verses 14 through 17 in 2 Kings 6, we read these words. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, my Lord, what will we do now? He cried out to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So these were angels sent by God, and it's the same message for you and I today in verse 16. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. And that is a fact, and God's on our side as well. Author Frank Peretti writes Christian fiction. But, but as you read these books, his books, present, his, This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness, you get the sense that this depicts on what's actually happened in 24-7 in the spiritual dim dimension that surrounds us now. Now, I want to read about three or four pages out of that. Bear with me. I know sometimes it's hard when, when reading, but this, this is real stuff to me. And this, this actually happens. Late on a moon, full moon Sunday night, the two figures in work clothes appeared on Highway 27, just outside the small college town of Ashton. They were tall, at least seven feet, strongly built, perfect proportion. One was dark-haired and sharp-featured, the other blonde and powerful. From a half mile away, they looked toward this town regarding the, I can't say this word, it's to deal with cacophonic sounds, that's a, that's a strange word, I don't use that in everyday language, of gaiety from the storefront streets and alleys within it, they started walking. They moved smoothly, unfaltering, passing through the main part of town at a brisk pace. Their final destination was a mile past the center of town, right on Poplar Street, and up to the top of Morgan Hill, about a half mile. Practically no time at all had passed before they stood before the little white church on its postage stamp lot with its well-groomed lawn and dainty Sunday school service billboard. Across the top of the little billboard, billboard was the name, Ashton Community Church. In black letters, hastily painted over whatever name used to be there, it read, Henry L. Bush, pastor. But the two visitors did not perceive with eyes only. From this vantage point, the true substratum of Ashton weighed very heavily upon their spirits and their minds. They could feel it, restless, strong, growing, very designed and purposeful, a very special kind of evil. It was not unlike either of them to ask questions, to study, to probe. 
More often than not, it came with their job, so naturally they hesitated in their business, pausing to wonder, why here? But only for an instant. It could have been some acute sensitivity and instinct, a very faint but not for them discernible impression, but it was enough to make them both instantly vanish around the corner of the church, melding themselves against the beveled siding, almost invincible there in the dark. They didn't speak, they didn't move, but they watched with a piercing gaze as something approached. The night scene of the quiet street was a collage of stark blue moonlight and bottomless shadows. But one shadow did not stir with the wind, as did the tree shadows. And neither did it stand still, as did the building's shadows. It crawled, quivered, moved along the street toward the church, while any light it crossed seemed to sink into its blackness, as if it were a breach torn in space. But this shadow had a shape, an animated creature-like shape, and as it neared the church, sounds could be heard. The scratching of claws along the ground, the faint rustling of breeze-blown, membrous wings wafting just above the creature's shoulders. It had arms and it had legs, but it seemed to move without them. Crossing the street and mounting the front steps of the church, its leering bulbous eyes reflected the stark blue light of the full moon with their own jaundiced glow. The gnarled head protruded from hunched shoulders, and whiffs of rancid red breath seethed in labored hisses through rows of jagged fangs. It either laughed or it coughed, the wheezes puffing out, the deep, out from the deep within its throat could have been either. From its crawling position or posture, it reared up on its legs and looked about the quiet neighborhood, the black leathery jowls pulling back into a hideous death mask grin. It moved toward the front door, the black hand passed through the door like a spear through liquid. The body bobbed, hobbled forward and penetrated the door, but only halfway. Suddenly, as if colliding with a speeding wall, the creature was knocked backwards into a raging tumble down the steps. The glowing red breath traced a corkscrew trail through the air. With an eerie cry of rage and indignation, it gathered itself up off the sidewalk, stared at the strange door that would not let it pass through. Then the membranes on its back began to billow and fold in great bodies of air, and it flew with a roar headlong at the door, through the door into the foyer and into a cloud of white-hot light. The creature screamed and covered its eyes, then felt itself being grabbed by a huge, powerful vice of a hand. In an instant, it was hurled through space like a rag doll outside again, forcefully ousted. The wings hummed in a blur as it banked sharply in a flying turn and headed for the door again, red vapors chugging in dashes and streaks from its nostrils, its talons bared and poised for attack, a ghostly siren of a scream rising in its throat, like an arrow through a target, like a bullet through a board, it streaked through the door and instantly felt its insides tearing loose. There was an explosion of suffocating vapor, one final scream and the flailing of withering arms and legs. Then there was nothing at all except the ebbing stench of sulfur and the two strangers suddenly inside the church. The big blonde man replaced the shining sword as the white light that surrounded him faded away. A spirit of harassment, he asked, or doubt or fear, who knows? And that was one of the smaller ones. I've not seen one smaller. No, indeed, and just how many would you say there are? More, much more than we and everywhere, never idle. So I've seen the big man reside. But what are they doing here? We've never seen such, con- such a concentration before, not here. Oh, the reason won't be hidden for long. He looked through the foyer doors toward the sanctuary. Let's see this man of God. So they turned from the door and walked through the small foyer. The bulletin board on a wall carried requests for groceries for a needy family, some babysitting and prayer for a sick missionary. 
A large bill announced a congregational business meeting for next Friday. On the other wall, the record of weekly offerings indicating the offerings were down from last week. So was the attendance from 26 to 18. Down the short and narrow aisle they went, past the orderly ranks of dark-stained plank and slat pews. Toward the front of the sanctuary, when one small spotlight illuminated a rustic two-by-four cross hanging above the baptistry. In the center of the worn carpeted platform stood the little sacred desk, the pulpit, with a Bible laid open upon it. These were humbler furnishings, functional but not at all elaborate, revealing either humility on the part of the people or neglect. When the first sound was added to the picture, a soft muffled sobbing from the end of the right pew. There, kneeling in earnest prayer, his head resting on the hard wooden bench and his hands clenched with fervency, was a young man. Very young, the blond man thought at first, young and vulnerable. It all showed in his countenance now the very picture of pain, grief, and love. His lips moved without sound as names, petitions, and praises poured forth with passion and tears. The two couldn't help but just stand there for a moment, watching, studying, pondering. The little warrior, said the dark-haired one. The big blonde man formed the words himself in silence, looking down at the contrite man in prayer. Yes, he observed, this is the one. Even now he's interceding, standing before the Lord for the sake of the people, for the town. Almost every night he's here. They stood over the kneeling warrior on either side. And at that moment, little by little, like the blooms of a flower, white light began to fill the room. It illumined the cross on the back wall, slowly brought out the colors and grain in every plank of every pew, and rose in intensity until the once plain and humble sanctuary came alive with an unearthly beauty. The walls glimmered, the worn rugs glowed, the little pulpit stood tall and stark as a sentinel backlit by the sun. And now the two men were brilliantly white, their former clothing transfigured by garments that seemed to burn with intensity. Their faces were bronzed and glowing, their eyes shone like fire. And each man wore a glistening golden belt from which hung a flashing sword. They placed their hands upon the shoulders of the young man and then, like a gracefully spreading canopy, silken, shimmering, nearly transparent membranes begin to unfurl from their backs and shoulders and rise to meet and overlap above their heads, gently undulating in a spiritual wind. Together they ministered peace to their young charge and his many tears begin to subside. End of quote. I think that's a glimpse behind the curtain. Might not be exactly right, but I think it's pretty much on the money. That this goes on 24-7 around us in our lives. It's like the air that we breathe and we don't even know that it's going on actually. Ephesians 6 seems to make a little more sense after pondering angels and demons. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. The final word, Paul said, be strong with the Lord's mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies and tricks of the devil. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, and against wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. I have talked to people before that come to the conclusion that all the difficulties in life that we have are brought on by the devil. I, I, don't, I don't happen to believe that. You remember, those that are old remember Flip Wilson. Well, the devil made me do it. He said that all the time, but that, that's not true. The devil can give us suggestions, but he can't, he can't make us do anything. Spouses are the only ones that can do that. <laughs> Some of our sickness, our poverty, our relationship problems are the result 
of our own wrong or poor choices. It's on us. But we have turned into a, a, a pretty much a nation of finger pointers. We're, it's always somebody else's fault. We're always pointing fingers. Well, I, that's, that's not the case. We know, too, that some of our suffering is caused by viruses that infect our cells, bacteria that attack our health, and even genetic coding that make us prone to different problems. But we have to take seriously what the Scripture is saying about those spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We we must not be seduced by the materialistic explanations of life challenges so that we forget the real spiritual world that surrounds us and opposes God. So today, I want to look briefly at at angels in part one, and then next week in part two, and we'll talk about the dark side, which is demons. I don't really enjoy that, but I think we really need to know. There are a couple of statements that I say repeatedly that I don't know how long if you've been coming coming here, but you've heard me say them over and over. One is that, that God loves you at this moment, more than you can imagine. You can't do any more or any less to make God love you any more than he does at this moment. And secondly, Satan hates you. I can't, hates not even, I can't think of a, a word that, that he will try anything in his power to drag you kicking and screaming into hell. And the kicking and screaming doesn't come till after our heart stops. And then we realize what it's about. But on this side of the river, not so much. Because he has painted this facade in life that some of the things that we do and the way we treat people, that it's okay. I find that, that people seem open, more open to a spiritual world. The possibilities of the supernatural, maybe even more than they did 20 years ago. And it seems like there's been a rash of, of movies and TV shows, mostly dealing with the dark side, with twilight and vampires and werewolves and all that kind of stuff. But I remember uh, Della Reese died, I guess, this week. Somebody told me, or Karen told me maybe, but uh, I remember Touched by an Angel. Monica Tess and Andrew and Gloria, they captured the attention of millions every Saturday night. When Josh went to Illinois State, he was involved with a Native American group, and I think he was at a powwow or something, maybe even up in Wisconsin, and he was talking to a Native American man, and he said, really, that show should be called Touched by an Anglo. You get that? It's, uh... <laughs> man, I'm glad I'm not getting paid for being a comedian. <laughs> Me and my sweetie pie be eating ramen noodles all the time. I wonder how that works for some of them guys. That, that, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but... My mind is becoming one big tangent, but anyhow, when you, when you, you work up to this great joke and you get a response like, I just got a response. <laughs> so I was just wondering. Tom Hanks and Angels and... Sorry, Josh, I didn't get the response. Of, it's all right, brother. I still love you. Tom Hanks and his series Angels and Demons was directed by Ron Howard, and there's a lot more dealing with the supernatural. There's a big interest in that dimension. You ever sensed that? Have you ever have you ever sensed it at all? Like there might be somebody there with you, or somebody looking over your shoulder, or whatever. And I know, and I'll probably mention this next week. But uh, Diane and I have been in places before that, that the evil is you can it just 
It just covers you. Are there really angels? That's the question. According to the Bible, yes. The scripture speaks often of angels about 200 times in the New Testament alone, but explains a little bit about them. So we're kind of left to read between the lines on that. They're messengers of God. The New Testament, the word angel means one who brings news. And the Bible tells us many important things about these messengers that should encourage us as well as engage us in the struggle um, to influence the world with righteousness and do battle and defeat evil. Here's six facts about angels. Number one, angels are spirit beings. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits? We do learn that angels can take on physical form uh, and interact with the physical world, but they are spirit beings without bodies like us. Two, angels are supernaturally powerful beings. In the Bible, angels are recorded to have an open prison doors, rolled away the stone at the grave of Jesus, and even engaged in war with evil people. In the book of Revelation, John speaks of angels who bind Satan, taking him into custody. That is a a major thought in itself, if you know anything about Scripture, because as life unfolds and prophecy starts to become more prevalent, and we see these things happening, and I think there are signs now. But as, as time goes on, at the end of uh, the tribulation, Satan will be bound for a thousand years, and that's hard to grasp, knowing how much power he has now, but God empowers these angels to bind him and, uh, for a thousand years. God grants them the ability from time to time even to change the course of nature, Revelation 7, 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or in any tree. Psalm 103, 20 says, Praise the Lord, you angels of his, you mighty creatures who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Number three, angels are personal beings. It's a mistake to think that these spirit beings are like the wind or a hurricane or an earthquake or electricity. They are loving, joyful, intelligent beings who delight in doing the will of God and carrying out his orders in this world. Number four, angels are not gods. These are beings are created, finite beings lower than God but superior to us. Number five, angels are not the spirits of people who have died. I think it's a common misconception that when people die, they become angels. Human and angels are distinctly different in God's order of creation. Nowhere in the Bible are we taught that our destiny is to become angels. And then the last one's number six. Angels are sent to be be the believer's ally in the struggle against sin, evil, and the darkness of Satan. Psalm 91, 11 through 14. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. In Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So God sends his angels to guard us sometimes. Uh, Billy Graham years ago had a book entitled Angels. If you've ever read that, it's a, it's a great book. Instance after instance out of real life where God sent angels to protect people couple stories, there was a, a lady in India that had a baby. It was w- walking in, into this village, and this tiger come upon her and was getting ready to pounce and probably devour because there's man-eating tigers. And it, 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 she prayed, help me, Jesus. And it was just like a hand knocked that beast away, and it ran off into the brush yelping. It, it, 
God, God did that. He sent an angel at that time. There was a missionary in Africa that was trying to reach this tribe, and him and his family was, was in their house and their hut, and this tribe came and surrounded them with uh, torches and spears and the whole ball of wax, and they, were, they intended to kill them. But as they advanced on the house, they, they, they were frightened, they were scared, and they, they started hollering, and they, they ran off, actually. Well, long story short, the chief came to Christ, and as this missionary was talking to him, he said, when you came to our house a while back and you surrounded our house, were you there to kill us? And the chief said, absolutely. We were going to kill you and your family. He said, what stopped you? He said, it was those six big guys on the roof with flaming swords. That's what scared us away. So God does that. And there's story after story about that. Another one, this family got stranded in the blizzard out west, and they were sitting there, and they didn't know what to do. It was a whiteout. Knock on the door. This guy in an overcoat leads them to a farmhouse that wasn't that far away and saved their lives. They turn around, the guy was gone. I think there's story after story, and maybe you, you have some of those stories in your life. And, and I wonder how many times he has saved us. I, I've always, always said when I finally get to heaven, my guardian angel will wipe his head and say, Whew, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> I think a lot of us are like that. I, re- I really do believe that with all my heart. The Bible teaches that God sends in his plan and purpose angels to guide us toward his will and to help us when we are under spiritual attack. Do you know when you're under spiritual attack? I think the vast majority of us do. And we just cry out to Christ to help us. And how many times have we prayed for our children and people we love? God put a hedge of protection around them. You realize when we say that, I do believe in that prayer that, that God's going to send angels and that's, who's, that's the hedge of protection around us. And he does that. The role of angels is captured for us in a brief passage in the New Testament. It's the story of Mary's visitation, Luke 1. You recall the story. God sent Gabriel to bring, to, to bring a young girl named Mary the astonishing news that she was going to bear the long-awaited Messiah. The angel appeared to her, scaring her to, almost to death, and announced her pregnancy, even though she'd not had sexual relations with Joseph, to whom she was engaged. So the angel gives her this message and encourages her and explains the purpose of what God is doing, and then he leaves her. And I'm sure that the thoughts and the feelings of that visitation probably never left her. From her whole time, even till she left this earth, I'm sure she remembered that, and she remembered those words when she was going through those trying and hard times. What does this information have to do with us? I think we need to be aware of the angels in our lives. When we worship, we join with angels to worship. And I, I don't think we err when we ask the Father to grant angelic presence in our life as we deal with dangers. And uh, they're with us constantly and they witness our obedience or our lack of. Even we're in secret. So in all reality, we're being watched 24-7. And I wonder on that day when we stand before Christ at the Bema seat, and I don't know whether he'll show a big screen or whatever, and that's my favorite story about Tony Campolo. He said, man, I'm going to hate that when God plays my video because my mom will be there. 
They play back your life. I wonder in that, in that whole thought process is when, they, when, when God plays back our entire life as believers, that he will show the times where angels stepped in and either saved our life or spared us for something. That, that's an amazing thought to me. That gives me comfort. I don't know about you, but it gives me comfort to know that, that God has his eye on me and he sends supernatural beings for my welfare. That's 24-7. I hope my guardian angel doesn't mind snoring. But nonetheless, it, uh, that's a great thought for me. So the next week, next week we're going to talk about uh, demons, which is the dark side. So, but as we think about this week, be aware of the presence surrounding you, the spiritual dimension. And, and let's praise God this morning for his intervention in our lives and like I said, we probably won't know how much he has intervened till we cross the river. But on that day, you see, I, I, I believe this, that, that our hearts are beating in God's hands. That he has that much power that I don't have power over my own life in a sense that he does. Well, he squeezes that hand. I'm out of here. I'm done. And I do believe that because the scripture alludes to this, that we, we die this is enemy territory. And I do believe that uh, Diana shared that scripture with me that when we breath leaves our body that we will, our soul, the real us, will be escorted into the presence of Christ by ministering angels. Would you call yourself a spiritual person? Only you can answer that. Are you a follower of Christ? If not, we always invite you to come and become one today. We will show you how and pray with you. You can pray right where you're set, but I always tell people to pray as God uh, works on their heart, as he grips it. This altar is just wood, but it has a significant meaning. Human heart is the altar today, but it's always a good thing sometimes to come down here and kind of signify and leaving that burden here and getting up and leaving it and let God handle it and you go about your way. Lord, we love you and we thank you for being real in our lives and we thank you for those created beings that you have made that, that help us, that guide us, direct us, protect us, help us get out of tight spots sometimes. And we thank you for that. May we not take that for granted. I think a lot of times we get so caught up in life that we don't think about stuff like that. And heaven forbid we don't like to think about death. <laughs> but death walks with us 24-7. We've lost people to the grave and someday it'll come our turn. <laughs> That's why we need to be ready. So right now, Father, I just pray as you grip our hearts. As you speak to us, Holy Spirit, only in the only way that you do that we're just pliant and we're open to you and we listen to you. We need to confess something and we just spit it out and you, it's gone. As far as the east is from the west, our sin is gone and we thank you for that. So we give you praise and glory this morning, Lord, for who you are. We ask all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen.